Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Paul Johnson, and we are The Last Nighters. You can find us on Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. You can also find us at lastnighters.com slash 131 as we talk about the movie The Patriot. Uh, we're going to celebrate what remaining independence we still have, uh, reviewing The Patriot, which is a Mel Gibson movie with Snobby Bobby of the Not For Everyone podcast, which is another movie review show. So it's going to be a crossover episode. It's going to be fireworks, barbecue, freedom, America, fuck yeah. Uh, welcome to the show, Bobby. How are you doing, my friend? Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. This is, um, I can tell this is going to be a lot of fun already. Is there, did you say barbecue? Well, yeah, I mean, not like l virtually. We can't, uh, you can't taste okay. my meat or anything yeah. like that. But uh, there will be barbecues to be I'm had, especially right during those, this weekend. It's a, it's a holiday weekend. Everyone's going to be celebrating their freedom while wearing masks, locked in their homes. So it's uh, it's all about yeah. that freedom that, uh, you know, founding fathers fought for so valiantly uh, as depicted in this fictional film based on historical, somewhat historical events. Well, and all I the have troops, a mask right? of, of the Betsy Rocks flag ready to go. Oh, all perfect. the troops have been fighting for our freedom, too. They must be pissed. Super pissed. Super pissed. <laughs> so, uh, Bobby, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to our audience and where they can find your show and maybe a little bit about what your show is about other than, you know, just my random uh, movie review show thing. It was, it was a, it was an apt description, but uh, yeah, I, um, I'm actually, I got kind of a formal background in uh, broadcasting and film. I currently host the not for everyone podcast. Um, the way I describe it is it's kind of two cynical man, children um, more or less exploring their flawed friendship through the lens of, obscure cult and horror movies um it's loud it's offensive it's lowbrow mostly um highly politically incorrect um and it, we kind of consider the name not for everyone podcast to be the uh the trigger warning in and of itself um in addition to that i'm a fairly regular contributor at fearforever.com which is a indie horror uh movie review website and um kind of how I got synced up with you guys. I'm uh, occasionally will guest host on, on death to tyrants, which is a podcast hosted by Buck Johnson, who's a hardcore and cap secessionist, species, Rothbard, Hoppe type guy. Um, it's a good show, solid guest, both um, in and out of the, uh, the libertarian world. And uh, I appreciate it because it's not, I got to plug Buck real quick. Hold on. I appreciate it because it's, it's not a lot of party politics and inside based ball chit chat it's more philosophy and current events and things of that nature so right yeah and uh, i have listened to death tyrants his podcast a couple of times especially uh, the appearances with jeff deist and they were quite quite good uh buck does a great job and, and i understand that you are also uh, occasionally co-host with him is that correct yep yeah that's what i yeah that's what i that's what i just meant. that's why i mentioned that well see i was sitting here thinking about what i was going to say rather than right listen on, right to on. You. No, it happens <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, uh one of, one of my friends, uh, Raylene, is writing to us saying that she loves the show as we're recording the show right now. So thank you, Raylene Lightheart of the uh, Johnny Rocket Blast Off with Johnny Rocket and Raylene Lightheart, also found on Launchpad Media. We're always launching new editions in direction. <laughs> Check it out at the so Launchpad smooth, Media. Daniel. So, smooth. Com. so um, we had a really good pre-show with you, Bobby, and that is available for Patreon supporters. And they can find that at lastnighters.com slash Patreon. There are people watching right now who can watch the sausage getting made. Uh, so head on over to lastnighters.com slash Patreon. Uh, Chase is our most recent patron, and he is now in the live stream group. I just added him today, and uh, he gave some very glowing comments as well. So apparently we're doing something right. People who encounter us um, 
at least one person likes it. So good, good job us, Robert. All right. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Make it two. Make it two. Oh. Make it two. All right. So uh, how we start this off, generally speaking, is we head on over to the old Google and get the description that they've got posted thusly. Uh, and I just got to find out where I put that because all my windows have moved around. That's not good. This is really great content, by the way. Super good stuff. Oh, there it is. There it is. I found it. All right. Here we go. Google description. The Patriot came out in the year 2000, rated R. It's a war slash action film in two hours and 55 minutes. We've been doing long ones lately, Robert. Uh, 7.2 on that IMDb, 61% Rotten Tomatoes and 63% Metacritic. However, 91% of Google users gave it the old Commodus-style thumbs up. The description reads, a widowed farmer with a brave but brutal military past decides not to join up when the British arrive in 1776. However, when his son enlists and is later captured by the enemy, the former soldier must abandon his newfound pacifist principles in order to rescue his oldest child and forms a regiment of Carolina patriots whose guerrilla tactics prove pivotal to the U.S. war effort. This came out June 27th, the year 2000. Uh, it sounds very futuristic, even though it's a past movie. The director is, of course, the Independence Day uh, director of Roland Emmerich, uh, music composed by John Williams and a budget of $110 million, starring, of course, Mel Gibson, and Heath Ledger, among others. Uh, Robert, I will go to you for your opening information. Well, this is my reaction to what you said. Yeah, sure, Daniel. So we got Mel Gibson back on the silver screen fighting the, the Redcoats, the British, which is, uh, he's good at it, so why not? You know, um, John Williams, I, I did notice the music in this film. That was, it did, it was a bit standout. There's some serious moments where you know they're tugging on your heartstrings and they, yeah, they did a pretty good job. Um, it's interesting to see this, this era of warfare for me. This is the time when you've got these highly regimented, um, stand and fight kind of movements by armies, but you've got this continental army that is fairly ragtag. You got a bunch of like these colonial militiamen. And then you've got, of course, the, the, end, the colonial, the continental army led by guys like Washington and those people. But a lot of the time, the uh, the colonialists were fighting on the back foot, and you were outnumbered, and you knew the terrain better. So you were using these guerrilla-style hit-and-run tactics, and it was just a very effective means when you're fighting a larger, stronger force to cut off the supply lines, to interrupt communications, to do these little hit-and-run maneuvers where you can attack and then escape through the swamp or whatever. Um, you can really harry harry their forces to the point where they're really weakened when it comes down to actually getting into these big battles. So you're not necessarily going to knock them out with all these little guerrilla style tactics, but you are going to weaken them and destroy their morale for the big blows that eventually do come. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time in history. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of interesting quotes that I took that I just wrote down verbatim from the initial meeting when Mel Gibson goes to, uh, I don't know, was it Fredericksburg or whatever it was? And they're kind of debating what to do. And there's just, and I just wrote all kinds of stuff down. So I, that's, that's the main meat of, that I want to really get into is that part there. But uh, yeah, right. good, good film, a little bit on the long side, but uh, you know, it's not, not too bad. Well, I like that you like to get into the meat and, and the long uh, as well. Um, and just a little bit of feedback. Uh, the nature of war at the time seemed to be more of a respectable gentleman's profession as dictated by the betters or the elite class 
sending the pawns and the peons out on, into these regimented lines to be shot and drop and then return a volley of fire. And it just seems like so ridiculous to see it uh, as shown in the movie. Like, I can't believe that was actually how they did warfare. They like just willingly lined up to be shot and then returned a volley of fire. Now I understand the whole reload situation was a little bit more difficult because you had to put powder and a shell in and then, you know, it took a lot of time. And so they would do this sort of coordinated firing, but man, just imagine you're in that first row and you're marching. I mean, you know, pretty good probability you're going to get the vid. So, you know, pretty, uh, pretty crazy stuff. But anyway, um, Bobby, do you have any reaction at this point to anything Robert said or the Google information? I, I took issue with uh, the first part of the Google description where they said that uh, when the British arrived in 1776, uh, they were kind of there, right? So seems a little odd, odd choice of words there. Right. And I will, uh, I'll preface by saying that, um, I'm a, I'm at, at best an armchair history buff and haven't taken a, uh, uh, colonial history class since about 2003. Um, so, um, uh, moving forward, any kind of, uh, uh, fun facts are completely either researched or possibly made up. Um, if I have, if I have two words to describe this film, without pejoratives if we're giving this the benefit of the doubt it's competent and it's effective right um it looks good um you have some pretty trite dialogue as um robert was kind of alluding to earlier um if i didn't misinterpret that uh uh, you have you have a performances by like kind of top stars of the day. You have Mel Gibson, Heath Ledger, the guy that played Odo from Star Trek uh, uh, Deep Space, Space Nine. Always a treat to see that guy. Um, but I guess what I'm getting at is it successfully does what it's trying to do. It pulls at your patriotic heartstrings. It uh, it fires up your loins of freedom. Um, but it is obviously a big budget war epic targeted for kind of your middle America popcorn general public. Um, that said, it's it's a blue ox and a stack of flapjacks away from being a folktale. Um, it's it's comic book. It's Americana junk food. And I have more to say, but I feel like I've been stealing the limelight. So that's my initial thoughts on that. No, steal away. We're here to lift you up and have your voice be heard. But yeah, I do. I do uh, agree with your sentiment that it does seem to have a whole heck of a lot of cartoonish uh, kind of scenes and just symbology, especially at the end where he literally takes the flag and stabs the horse with it. Um, and I love I love lowbrow schlock like that like that didn't i was i was not to jump to the end already but i was i stood up and cheered because i was like <laughs> i hadn't seen this since the year 2000 and i was like oh my god is he gonna stab someone with a flag I'm like and then he did he, he was stabbed the horse which it kind of would have been cooler honestly if he stabbed the main dude but um it was uh that was a very that 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 scene alone is kind of a microcosm of this entire film and in, in that it's it's the mythology of the American patriot, right? It's it might as well be someone like Davy Crockett, where they toe that line between a real person and uh, and someone that's more of a legend, or like a what's that guy's name, Johnny Tremaine, stuff like that. But he was based on a real guy who I did a report on in in, in fourth grade, Francis Marion, the Swamp Fox, and a couple other guys. But that was one of the main inspirations of uh, Mel Gibson's character. Oh, nice. Okay, 
Very good. Well, Robert, I want to uh, get you in on this because it looks like you got a few things to say there. Well, we could talk about Mel Gibson's character. Um, he starts off as this reluctant hero type, and we learn throughout the film because he committed some atrocities at, where, at a battle where he is wildly renowned as this hero because of what the the people that he murdered, he slaughtered, you know, done previously to like women and children. And so he goes to this convention where they are going to vote on what, uh, what was it? South Carolina, what, what they're going to do, where they're going to join. Was it Massachusetts at the time to fight? Cause this time the, the, the continental Congress hadn't declared independence yet. And they were, they're still deciding if they're going to join the, the effort with Massachusetts. And he goes there and he has all this like philosophy and he has these good arguments and then he just kind of changes his mind. And it seems to be because of family, not necessarily because he's changed his mind on his philosophy. So here's, here's one quote. He says in rebuttal to one guy who's like, yeah, we need to go fight these British. He goes, why should I trade one tyrant 3,000 miles away for 3,000 tyrants one mile away? An elected legislature can trample a man's rights as easily as a king can. And he's absolutely right. And nothing in the film happens, nothing in the film that happens uh, changes his view on that, nor I don't think could it. But somehow he joins the revolution and he joins back up with the army and he's all gung-ho. And maybe he's because he's more of a, it's more of a revenge story at this point because the evil colonel guy murdered his son. But it, 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 and it seems like an incomplete arc right to me it does because he goes from being this kind of anarchist character who says no government's terrible they can trample your rights both of them can to joining into this battle to instill these 3000 tyrants one mile away i mean it, it it seems like he makes this shift and there's no real reason why other than well i i need to kill this guy that killed my son, and the best way I can do that, I guess, is to join this war effort. I don't know. It seemed kind of convenient for me. And and I noticed that too. It's like um, his arc happened within like the first twenty minutes of the movie, within Act One. I get. I mean, there were some you know ebbs and flows to his character throughout the movie, but you're right. Um, he's your you know seasoned war hero. You know resisting coming out of tyrant uh, retirement um he's seen the horrors of war he has a family now he's a bit hesitant to get involved he recognizes like you said in that quote about the the you know elected legislator can trample a man's rights as easily as a king can but i agree with with everything you just said robert however um the 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 breaking point for lack of a better phrase is when shit got real was when you had um, homeboy uh, English, uh, what's his name, uh, Tabington, uh, murder his younger son later on, and uh, and uh, you know take his uh, older son off to the off to the gallows, um, or at least try to. So it was one of those things where he's he's trying to resist getting involved. He's seen all this before. He he just wants to live his life. He doesn't want to expose his family to these uh, atrocities, yet. Push comes to shove, like you said, when when uh, when you mess with a man's family, which is what he was trying to protect all along in the first place. Um, that's when he uh, 
he joins up, I guess. Yeah. When they mess with his blood and soil, he, he fights back and eventually his son enlists and well, he's, his son had already enlisted, but yeah, he, he sees how terrible the, the leadership is. And then he's like, uh, okay, I guess I got to help these losers out. <laughs> yeah. I think, I I think you're right there. I wouldn't go so far as to say this is like, he's not really a one dimensional character. Um, but he is like kind of your standard melodrama archetype, right? Um, especially for like a wartime, you know, period piece that's aimed at the general general public, right? Um, like I said, you got your, and there's more of these in this movie too. You got your seasoned veteran uh, with a secret guilt he's dealing with, his own demons and whatnot. And then you have like his old stoic war buddy. And then you have like the eager young Luke Skywalker type, which is his son. And then you have like a man of God and a slave and a foreigner. And then like, you might as well had a guy named Tex in this movie. Um, Cause it's it like, it checks all those boxes. And I'm not saying that And to its credit, it's not, it's not um, trying to shoehorn any of these like characters we already really know about from this time in, in real historical context. Um, it's contained in its own its own world. Like I was waiting for a montage where I saw like an out of focus uh, Paul Revere riding through Boston or like, you know, like uh, uh, Washington crossing the Delaware at the end or something like that. But that to its credit, that never happens. However, um, because this movie's effective and because it's trying to do what it does successfully, it does check all those boxes of, again, your gang of roustabouts, uh, your, your Benedict Arnold character, no pun intended. Um, and then your melodramatic antagonist that uh, isn't even human. He might as well have had like a curly mustache and a, and a top hat. Um, so, um, yeah, it's uh, I agree with I, I, I agree with Robert in that his arc is very, I guess, premature. Um, but but uh, yeah. See, I'm going to disagree wholeheartedly because not only okay. does he have the his son gets murdered by the guy. His other son being brought to the gallows against the traditions of war, or the proper um, you know process, because he's just a courier and by the rules of engagement or whatever in place at the time, those are not being honored. Then they destroy his home. So not only do they kill two of his sons or attempt to kill the second one, they destroy his entire livelihood. And that changes the game because this is a king tyrant from 3000 miles away who sends this Tavendish guy to go and murder people and destroy his property, his life, that he probably is willing to now make that trade to have 3,000 local tyrants who would not be able to amass such power, at least back in that time. I think now, today, with uh, the 3,000 uh, little petty tyrants around the country right now locking things down, um, I'd almost trade it back for a tyrant 3,000 miles away. Uh, uh, what is it uh, Alex Jones used to say? Like, 77, 6, 77, 1776 will rise again, uh, where you talk about like, <laughs> how much tyranny was actually in place at that time versus how much tyranny is there now? Like what was intended to be the smallest, most restrained government ever has grown into the biggest, most powerful, most expansive government ever, all in the span of a few hundred years. And so uh, it's almost like, well, what would you trade it back for the uh, amount of, uh, you know, incursion that, that they had at that time uh, versus what we've seen it grow into today, where that's, you know, the United States projects its violence across the world. And uh, so, you know, it's a pretty big, uh, pretty big shift. But that's where I think he he originally has that philosophical argument of why would I exchange one tyrant for for many tyrants who are even closer? 
I think it's once that one tyrant who's far enough away demonstrates just how lethal and how violent he's willing to be that he's now willing to make that trade. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know, Daniel. I, I, I think I, I, I think the scene where he decides to join the army is that scene where he's in his uh, sister-in-law's house and Heath Ledger's standing at the window and they're watching this battle play out before them. And Mel Gibson's like, oh, look at these guys. This battle was over before it started. They're terrible. They don't know what they're doing. And he joined up right away. But yeah, I mean, you're, you, could, you could be somewhat right. I mean, they did burn his house down. He didn't have a place to stay, but he, other than his sister-in-law's house. I, I think that that part kind of like was an expedition to like add to his, you know, it was like the the straw that broke the camel or one of the many straws that broke the camel's back after they murdered his son and, and burned his house. It didn't help that the uh, Continental Army or the militia or whatever it was, was uh, not uh, not particularly talented when he was watching from a window and uh i would i, I agree with both of you as well oh oh man Top go, fence sitter over here yeah i'm middle bitch that one. Oh. yeah okay but, so uh, daniel i got okay. some more I, I got some more quotes from that scene okay all right we're gonna do quotes it's quote night so after he says that electric legislature can triple a man's rights as easily as king can they go, so what's the answer, Mel Gibson, you super smart guy? And Mel Gibson goes, we plead before the king to avoid a war. And he goes, well, we've tried doing that. They're super dedicated to this. And he's like, well, we try again and we try again and we try again. We just keep asking and asking and asking. And I I don't know how effective of a tactic that is to just ask you to please stop oppressing me, evil tyrant guy. I mean, begging your masters kind of assumes that you recognize and acknowledge that they are your masters. It, it doesn't seem to be the most effective tactic. It seems to be more like, please, sir, would you be nice and only beat me on Tuesdays? It's like, no, I'll beat you whenever I want. Yeah. So that's the Walter Block argument where Batty A promises to beat you less than Batty B. So you're going to vote for Batty A. That's a kind of argument, but you're right. Uh, with a bully, sometimes you just need to punch him in the mouth. Yeah, yeah. When someone's bullying you, you uh, grab some weapons and you say, "Draw a line in the sand." Um, Let's just say that Colonel Tavington violated the nap. Which one was Quite Colonel well. Tavington again? Is he the evil? The, the main, guy? the main bad guy. Super evil dude. guy that burned his house down and murdered his family. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think that's probably a nap violation there. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, yeah. A little, li little libertarian street justice was uh, was called for, and. Uh, when he was watching the engagement where he said it was over before it started, that was the Continental Army because Mel Gibson was who mustered up a militia. Um, and he was yeah, following right. his son who decided to go back uh, after recovering from his wound and he couldn't stop him. So then he was like, well, right. I'm now I'm going to go, you know, try to protect my son or talk him out of it or whatever. And then, then he saw what he saw and he's like, they're hopeless. <laughs> so they're, they're going to need, you know, somebody to tell him to do this a little differently. Okay, I got more quotes. Here's the next right. quote, Daniel. If your principal, this is the um, the general of the Continental Army guy. I don't know his name, but we all recognize this guy in movies before. Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper, that's the guy. If your principal dictates independence, then war is the only way. And uh, I don't know about that. I think uh, Gandhi and Martin Luther King, through peaceful noncompliance, kind of demonstrated that um, you can get societal change, although I don't know 
if you can actually get independence through doing that. So I don't know. What what are your thoughts on that? You care to direct that to anyone in particular? Oh, whoever's got most thoughts, uh, whose brain is really buzzing? Daniel, well, your brain looks buzzing. I'll just say that um, those two people did use peaceful means, but it um, present day, that still wasn't good enough, apparently, because both of those people have since been uh, labeled as bad or their advice ignored. So in Gandhi's case, he uh, has a statue up and they want to tear that down because apparently he was racist in some way. I don't know enough about it. And then with Martin Luther King, uh, where he would say, you know, he had a dream that people would be judged by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. seems to have been uh, totally uh, ignored uh, these days, as we were talking about in the pre-show. So um, how much change did they truly affect? And well, I agree that it's not always war that's going to be the answer. For instance, in the War of Northern Aggression, the South simply wanted to secede and form their own their own uh, union, their own nation. And some certainly some of it was to preserve the perverse institutions of slavery. Some of them said that in their separation uh, arguments, but others did not. They had many other grievances as well. And there's a whole history about this. And uh, most people want to boil it down to just slavery, bad, uh, and that's it. But there's, there's a lot more nuance to it. But it was um, war that was there to try to keep them from seceding. So in that instance, they were peacefully trying to leave. Uh, and then war was brought upon them. So right. you're about to be removed so, from YouTube in like <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> That's true. So is, he, so is the general right then? Is war the only way to establish independence from a group of violent thugs that ha- can't let you leave? Uh, I'm not sure if I can think of another one that really hadn't gone that way. I mean, historically, it's always been war. I mean, maybe with technology, we can do something else. But I don't know. Outside of uh, jetpacks to Mars or something, I don't know. What? Yeah, I mean, uh, given given the the nonviolent approach, what would that even look like in this scenario? Yeah, I think it's just noncompliance, right? I mean, it would be right. just not paying taxes and declaring that you're untaxable and, I don't know, ungovernable. But if the institution that, that you're resisting is inherently violent and they have a history of being violent, uh, uh-huh. as we see in the uh, 2000 movie, uh, The Patriots, starring Mel Gibson. Um, I've heard of that one. What other, I mean, what other, what other choice do you have at that point? And I don't, I don't know. I'm just uh, throwing that out there. It's, it could be rhetorical. You guys could have an answer to it. I don't know. Well, not only that, but if you're isolated and, and just wanting to be left alone, like most people of uh, the independent streak, then there, it's easy to pick you off one by one. You almost need to amass in some sense or collectively. And I don't mean collectively like everyone's under the control of, of the group, but I mean, just en masse, um, do something that is non-compliant so much so that there's too much for them to deal with. Right. And I think you also need to get the, um, messaging correctly. Um, I don't know how you get the, the state run media to be on your side, but if you can get sympathy from a wide swath of the population to your cause, like if, if, if there was a group of Liberty minded, I mean, they might be get depicted as Nazis, although their heads might explode. If it was a bunch of black people who are liberty-minded and wanted to have a gold skull situation, the media's head would probably explode. But, you know, if they could have, you know, they could talk about their oppression and whatever, 
I think that they could actually successfully, you know, secede and get popular support behind it because they could Maybe. talk about the systemic racism and the, you know, all the cultural oppression and all that, whatever, you know what I mean? And then they'd have the oppression points so that any, if any, if anybody did come and attack them, military, national guard, cops, anybody, they could pl easily play the victim way better than a group of like liberty minded, uh, black and yellow gold people. You know what I mean? Or Mel Gibson with the ponytail. Yeah. That ponytail. They already hate him. Not doing him any favors. Yeah. The ponytail <laughs> doesn't do any favors. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think maybe there's some links to that, Robert. Uh, maybe if they did the Chaz thing, uh, but on a larger scale and selected where they wanted and co counted that as quote unquote, the reparations, like, Hey, give us this landmass as our own country. Or even buy it legitimately and then just say, hey, we're not going to pay taxes. We're not going to be beholden to the state. We're going to do our own thing. Kind of like the Amish do, although I don't know if they pay taxes. I don't, I don't know. And, and there's even dialogue from, uh, I guess, Cornwallis in this movie, who is like the, uh, the main British Army general dude, um, who's more or less discouraging um, Tavington from enacting such you know, uh, immense, brutal, brutal yeah. violence on these people. Cause he acknowledges that like one, these are our brethren, but two, like we want to keep engaging in commerce with these people. So there might be an angle there in this context of like, look, we know, we know you don't want to fight despite the fact that these, this guy that you sent to our village and to, to murder us, um, uh, would say otherwise. Um, but if you're truly interested in commerce, we need to come to a compromise here where you give us our independence and then we don't collectively stop doing business with you. Right. And, and of course, he thought that they were still going to win. So they would still be British colonies and they would still want to have them for trade for cotton, tobacco, et cetera. Yeah, I don't think he had it in his, in his mind that they were even at a risk of losing. I, I think it was a pretty lopsided uh lopsided event historically speaking well especially since the british had had a like a, an incredible win rate up to that point in that in that modern time i mean in, in not necessarily in terms of winning against the french or other european powers but as for their colonies they were like batting a thousand yeah and they were just thinking they were just quelling a rebellion and that once that's kind of tamped down then things would kind of go back to normal and so if you brutalize them what is it it's that coin um situation in afghanistan where like you kill one terrorist and you create 10 more indeed yeah you burn one guy's house down and yeah he's gonna get pissed off about it and kill his kids yeah right so that's what happened to mel gibson and, and all these guys in, in the movie you know that that was what emboldened them to finally take up arms and actively resist and become terrorists in the eyes of the crown yeah, well, yeah that's just a freedom fighter versus terrorists you know it's a matter of, of perspective uh I'll let you in bobby I was going to say, like, as you see in that initial scene where they're all discussing whether or not they're going to go to war, like Mel Gibson's character, like you said earlier, like is not interested. And it's too late at that point. It's too late for negotiations. Bunker Hill had already happened or, you know, they've already it's it's already gotten escalated to the point of violence. So there's it's it's that ratchet effect that once the violence starts, it's probably I'm not going to say easier, but more uh, from a like a. It's probably to easier to convince people to fight back physically than uh, try to negotiate their way into independence or nonviolent resistance or whatever. 
Okay, last quote from that scene, and then we can move on. All right, so Gibson is kind of explaining why he's against fighting, even though he's this war hero. And I forget who he tells this to, but he says, I'm a parent. I haven't got the luxury of principles. So Daniel, as a parent, <laughs> how have you violated your principles? Oh, well, um, I do see the, uh, the difficulty with this because when you are responsible for providing for a family, for children, it does sort of limit what you're willing to do or risk. It changes the equation for what you're willing to do on a matter of principle. So certain things you kind of just have to let go um, because it's not worth the risk, especially for um, you know who's depending on you. So I think that's one part of it. Um, and then more specific to your question, you know, what have I done that is against my principles? Well, I, I'd say parenting in and of itself um, sort of leads one down a path of dealing with unreasonable little tyrants who are ages two, three, four, five, six, uh, who are not uh, open to reason. And so occasionally you need to take uh, a certain escalation path to isolate them from you or from their sibling uh, from causing further harm. And so those are some things that are somewhat against principle, but I think some necessary things uh, to prevent further harm. Are you equating? <laughs> are you equating your children to George the Third and Queen Elizabeth? Is that what's happening here, Daniel? I'm saying that at their age, where everything up to that point has been about them, them being served, things magically appearing to them if they cry, whine, bitch, moan, complain. So they're socialists. Yeah. Basically, uh -huh. yeah. yes. They're Chazians. Yeah, and so it's it's somewhat of a tyrannical thing because I am duty bound to provide that to them. Uh, and so the, it, it does get into this situation where you can view them as uh, demanding things and, and me not having a choice, thus tyranny. Uh, Bobby, you, want, you got kids, right? You I, I do not. That's why I wanted to pick your oh, brain for a moment okay. some more. Um, so I was going to ask whether whatever context you want to apply this to, um, when you have kids, and I may be asking the wrong person, but when you have some sort of paternal or maternal instinct to protect your children, do you think that in general people are more susceptible to submitting to tyrants? Meaning when the, when the, when the marching orders come down from the state or whatever institution for your safety, you'd rather just play ball than try to resist because you have children to protect. Yes, absolutely. And there are actually things that are related to children that you're required to do, even though they're bullshit things. But rather, I mean, you kind of have to pick your battles, right? Like, do I put up with this inconvenience or do I fight it uh, and risk further inconveniences? Sure. Yeah, and I, I noticed that. that... Oh, go Sorry, ahead. go ahead. Well, I, 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 I noticed. I think that that sums up perfectly kind of maybe if we want to apply some sort of internal struggle or juxtaposition with this character of Mel Gibson is he's doing a cost benefit analysis. He's literally picking his battles and it got to the point where he had to pick an actual battle um, for various reasons, uh, despite the fact that a originally he didn't want to get involved because of his family and because he's experienced the horrors of war and because he's over that part of his life and B he still feels obligated to protect them at the same time. That's all I was going to say. Right. Plus, he's also highly skilled at it. I mean, he right. this is his thing. I mean, he he's called into this and he has the skills and ability to do it. So it, it makes it easier for him, I think. 
All right. Robert, okay, so, we, I cut you off for the last time. Well, I was just going to rag on. I was going to kind of talk about Daniel because he recently he tweeted out or I don't know, Facebook posted or some kind of social media thing in Majigger where he went to a Costco. And I know he's not a fan of the Costco CEO who recently did a press junket with uh, our our overlord, uh, Jay Inslee, here in uh, Wa State. And uh, but you you went along with the tyranny under the guys that you you valued the goods and the prices being offered higher than your own personal statement of going along with this or not. Is that, uh, is that fair? I'd love to give you a clarification on this. All right. So <laughs> just for the folks at home, um, Costco requires face masks in all of their facilities and they have done so for uh, a good couple of months now. Now, um, I have not been into a Costco since February to purchase any goods. I have purchased online. I am also an executive member. And thusly, I get a certificate, rebate certificate once a year. And rather than spend it online, I oftentimes choose to go and redeem it for fiat notes, Federal Reserve notes. Um, and so I was doing that this time as well. And it was the first time I had a chance since receiving said certificate to go in because we were passing through on the way to exercise a little bit of freedom by going to a park to visit my mother before I went to the dentist. Not sure which thing I was dreading more. So I went into Costco to get cashola. And thus I wore a uh, rainbow tiger striped Tiger King mask in order to do so. And was that, did you feel like that was a violation of your principles or you were like, hey, this is private property. They've got their rules. I'll follow their rules. Yes, I thought this is private property, though it's stupid and pointless and uncomfortable and a bit demeaning. But I want that cashola while it still spends. But you are less inclined to shop at Costco with this new policy. Yes or no? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes. We have not gone into Costco to make a purchase and uh, we have purchased things online. Uh, mostly for the convenience and the prices and some goods that are only available at Costco. However, since that uh, now infamous, uh, at least to me and you, uh, press conference, I am less inclined to purchase from them um, just on a matter of principle, but they're not going to give a shit. I so. have a thought experiment follow-up question to that. All right. See, we're talking about Costco instead of the Patriots. So this is our episode well, tonight, your, your uh, episode Patriots 131. Shop at Costco. That Kirk, I have some Kirkland pants that are like outstanding. Um but um, and they're like pre-made Indian foods, really good too. Um, so, just to stay on this topic for a moment, um, let's say that the marching orders for masks came down from a private scientific entity of some sort. It wasn't some sort of mass propaganda campaign as we're seeing currently. Would that and then and then based on that private advice from a private scientific institution, Costco decided to follow suit and require that on their private premises like is that more I, I would assume is that more acceptable to your principles or is it is it strictly the demeaning nature of the whole situation so uh, if you're directing it at me then yes i think that if the incentive structure wittingly or not was a private and they were actually following the scientific evidence which it doesn't seem like they actually are right now because right. there are plenty of medical professionals and and uh, industry you know 
websites and whatnot that are saying, you know, this is actually not beneficial. This is not scientifically sound. The studies are not uh, indicating that this is helpful at all. And in fact, there are certain risks involved with this and no one is taking any of that into account. But um, yeah, if if there was a more of a free market in the um, analysis and also the um, presentation is more neutral and not so biased as what we're getting today, then mm -hmm. yeah, I'd probably be more inclined to take that information more um, on its face than I do now. But I still think it comes down to the individual's risk profile or risk tolerance on right. a subjective level. And um, Bob Wenzel of uh, Target Liberty and Economic Policy Journal uh, has a really good 15-minute um, little podcast episode that's talking about this, as well as um, what is kind of driving the hysterics and the emotion and the fear. And so I'll post that on our show notes page because I think it's uh, super important, though not really related to the Patriot itself. It is related to liberty, which this movie is depicting a struggle for liberty. And um, uh, one of my favorite things, my wife has a friend who's fairly left-leaning and they, they engage in conversation a fair amount. And she literally asks my wife, what freedoms do you feel like you've lost? I'm curious. I really want to know. This is an point to anyone. I mean, I just, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and then the you get pointed with that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, and, and uh, unfortunately, you know, people uh, go along with what they see in the mainstream media, even though they are demonstrably wrong so often, so many times biased all up and down, saying completely opposite things, uh, even on the same day. Uh, it's, it's just ridiculous how um, they still have any credibility at all and uh, people still buy into it. So it's. Uh, now, there's a there's a fair amount, I think, of the corporate heads and whatnot there's a lot of pandering that happens that go they pander to the left a lot you see all these like black lives matter commercials or yeah all kinds of stuff coronavirus this coronavirus that whatever the social cause of the day you see all kinds of corporate backing um so i don't know if this is a pandering move by costco or if this is a true believer move by costco at least they are paying the market price by excluding people that are mask averse to actually shopping in their stores. So I do appreciate that, but it seems that's, that gives me some sense that they're more true believers, but I don't know. What, what do you think, Bobby? Well, can I interject for just a moment? I think they, oh! crossed, they crossed the line when they said, we advocate that this policy be mandated statewide due, the, mm -hmm. due to the governor's executive action. That's, that's where it crossed the line for me. It right. went from I, I mean, just on that, their that property. Totally. Right. Because like you were saying, I, I think there is like a cost benefit analysis there where, where people will have a private business be like, okay, well, it sucks or it is what it is. You can think what you want about it, but the vast majority of the population is listening to what the state institutions are telling them in regards to this. And it will affect our business if we don't follow suit and in on some level advocate, if not fully enforce this. So. Right. And it's you also, also an okay. So. And it's also like a, a, an example of if they're already doing it, then it's costless for them to force their competitors to also do it now. So True. in a way, it's a protectionist move right. to have the state enforce what they're already doing themselves. Much like when they raise their own internal corporate minimum wage and then they enforce that on everybody else through the state. Right, right. Or, yeah, you see like a Walmart advocating for higher minimum wage because they can absorb it. Meanwhile, mom and pop or, or lesser um, profitable corporations cannot compete with that. But let's talk about the Patriots, shall we? 
All so right. I, I have an angle. I have an angle. This is that Tavendish character and why he's so eager to prove himself, to make a name for himself. And he, he tells this to Cornwallis that the reason that he's trying to do this is because his name is disgraced in England. His father had done something that had brought shame to them. He'd lost their property, their title, their whatever. And so he's gung-ho to somehow make a name for himself by being very aggressive, very brutal, very loud about accomplishments and getting in the good graces of those who can bestow things upon him, accolades, property, because Cornwallis is talking about getting, you know, 100,000 acres of Ohio or something like that and carving some of it up for um, for him. And so I think that is uh, that is a driver for him to prove himself. And I think in another context, it would be like really good if it's in a private way, in an entrepreneurial way. It would have driven him to uh, be, you know, a very effective, single-minded, you know, driven person to come up with a solution to problems for people to provide value. Whereas since he's, you know, attached to the state in a military uh, aspect, it's used for evil. And uh, he does um, atrocities, war crimes, uh, to, to uh, exert his brutality to try to get uh, the prize that's being offered. And, and you notice when, when he offers this to um, Cornwallis, his, he waves away his aid. So there's no witness to him coming to this agreement to do uh, ungentlemanly uh, illegal warfare against innocent women and children and civilians um, because he wants it done because uh, the Mel Gibson character is a thorn in his side and because he's not following the standard procedures for war, it's really hard to, you know, he's got fight his dogs. More. Yeah, and he's got his dogs too. And they like him more than Cornwallis. <laughs> They like Mel more. So he's willing to do these illegal things and come to this agreement to deal with a problem that uh, is also not following the rules, even though the rules are kind of bullshit. I think, you know, in, in a warfare situation, uh, guerrilla tactics, especially when you're far outgunned and outnumbered, um, are kind of called for. I mean, if, if they're literally there trying to kill you, um, you, you can't just stand in front of them and 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 you know, exchange fire, right? Which is the mistake that he saw looking out the window. I think that was one of the mistakes. I, I, I don't know exactly what tactics he was disagreeing with in that scenario, but I think he did see a, a superior force fighting an inferior force and the one, the inferior force looked to be trying to match them shot for shot, which yeah, would be a mistake. Right. Now, what do you think of, of this, um, this uh, idea of, of this character who's been shamed trying to bring glory to back to his family name and, and utilizing these brutal tactics to do so. Do you, do you see, kind of see that angle? Yeah, I see that angle. And I, and I think he's right. The, the, the evil character here, um, he would probably return back if, if he got the land in America and he wanted to like sell it off or whatever, or retire in America and be some kind of a landlord type person. Um, he would probably do well, or he could go back to England and be seen as some sort of conquering hero type person. I mean, the war propaganda efforts tend to really gloss over the horrors and atrocities committed by your side and then really amplify up the, the horrors and atrocities committed by the enemies. So yeah. I think he was probably one of, I think, I think people like him were, more common than are, are depicted in this film. 
Yeah, very steely-eyed pragmatists that are just there to get a job done and really don't see the difference between shooting a guy when he's down and waving a, his hand stop and like two seconds earlier when he was aiming a gun at him. He's just like, whatever, it's the same person, I'm going to kill him. Right, yeah, and that's when they shot all the wounded and, and burned the house down. Uh, no, no prisoners, no surrender. Um, and you brought up an interesting point because, yeah, that's exactly how the Mel Gibson character was viewed as a hero by by his people, even though he had shame for what how he had um, handled that and, and people didn't know the truth about it. So wh- whenever people would be proud of him, he would feel shame for it. So, but um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very uh, challenging uh, situation to be in, I think. Yeah. So I got one more scene. If you guys got no other scenes or whatever you guys want to talk about, but I got one more scene we could talk about. Okay, I can do okay. that, and I know Bobby will have something. I'm sure Bobby's sure. going to have some stuff. So, um, the Mel Gibson rounds up a bunch of militiamen, and they are carrying out these raids, and they're hitting these supply lines and killing all these redcoats. And then they have a situation where a bunch of redcoats are going to surrender, and then they shoot them right in the face or whatever. And they're just like, uh, two seconds ago, you were trying to kill me. So whatever. But uh, the Heath Ledger man, young Joker boy is like, hey, this isn't who we are. This isn't we're better than this. What are, what are you doing? And at that point, Mel Gibson says, yeah, yeah, you're right. From now on, we're going to we're going to accept surrenders and we're not going to kill people if they surrender. And you have to follow my my rule. And they're like, what are you talking about? You have to follow her. Oh, this isn't the army. And he's like, yeah, you're, this isn't the army, but this is like my militia or whatever. And so he says to this quote right here, you're free to come and go as you please. But while you're here, you must obey me or I will shoot you. And um, I don't know, as a voluntarist, I don't know how I feel about that. You're free it's, to come and go as you please. But as long as you choose to be here, you got to do what I say, or I can just kill you. Why not just let him, let him leave like he initially insinuated at the beginning of that quote? Well, they can leave, and that's still part of the deal. But if they disobey him by, say, shooting prisoners, because he's now said right. we're no longer shooting prisoners, then the, he's letting you know what the sentence will be and, and how it will be carried out. But not just for that, though. Not just for shooting prisoners, but anything, he says. He's trying to be some sort of a military officer where you are conscripted and you will face death if you try and go against your orders. Yeah, I'm sure there's a little bit of thing there. I'm sure there's a little bit of leeway like, oh, hey, I need you to peel these, you know, 800 pounds of potatoes. No, I won't do that. I'm going to shoot you. No, (laughs) it's, you know, it's probably going to, you know, have a little bit of uh, (laughs) a gradual, uh, you know, hyperbole, but yeah. So were you with with you were with Mel Gibson in this situation? You think this is a perfectly reasonable thing to say? Yeah, I think if if he says, "Hey, you're you're free to go," or if you stay, here are the conditions, and if you don't, you know, follow through on those conditions, then this is going to be what happens to you in the most severe case. I think that's uh, perfectly reasonable. That's a perfectly reasonable voluntarist type organizational method in a military uh, engagement. Yeah, it kind of seems that way. What about just like daily life? Well, just like hanging the, out with your buddies. The stakes are a little different. You're going to drink this beer or I will or shoot I will you shoot in the you. face. <laughs> yeah, I think the context will matter. I know I know it's 2020 and context doesn't matter anymore. 
But I'm going to say context matters here. You racist. That is racist. All right. So I just want to throw a shout out to my man, Murray N. Rothbard. He wrote a four-volume set called Conceived in Liberty, and he had handwritten a fifth volume. And a guy, I believe Patrick Newman uh, from the Mises Institute, due to some work with Murray Rothbard's notes, was able to decipher what was written on the parchment. And apparently he had like chicken scratch, doctor prescription style handwriting. But he got so good at it uh, in translating the Progressive Era book that came out just a few years ago, that a fifth volume that now completes the set of Conceived in Liberty that covers the colonial period all the way up through this uh, American Revolution, uh, which is depicted in the film, or at least par- portions of, uh, is now available. So just throw that chat out there. It's uh, available um, on uh, Amazon.com. So I have a link to that on the show notes page at lastnightscom slash 131. So Bobby, over to you. Uh, how much time do we have? All the time in the world. Okay, I just have some kind of general philosophical questions for you guys in regards to the overall sentiment of of you know the Revolutionary War and celebrating Fourth of July and things of that nature. So um, I find that as a voluntarist type uh, perspective, uh, in this conversation, it's kind of shed some light on on trying to hammer this down. But as far as celebrating the Fourth of July today with people like us like is it you always hear the cliches of like the whole like you know oh the what is it this the magic sky cloth and uh things like that is is celebrating this holiday a a purely statist phenomenon or i mean is it permissible for like a hardcore and cap to celebrate while still remaining consistent with their tenets and and ideologies wow (laughs) I think my answer for that uh, would have shifted fl- back and forth several times over the past several years. And I'm not even sure where I stand right now. I could tell you that for the last several years, I've seen other people uh, celebrating freedom uh, due to Independence Day uh, who have no conception of what it would even mean right. or stand for. It's ritual. Um, yeah. And and even more so this year than any year prior. Uh, but, you know, that that volume that I was just talking about uh, by Rothbard, he basically analyzes, like we do for movies, uh, from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective, that period of history. And he argues that it's basically libertarian in thought and philosophy, and it's actually a burgeoning of additional freedom as compared to or relative to previous. And it was like a grand experiment to try to actually gain some liberty for the individual versus the collective. Um, now, it hasn't borne out in history. Um, it's actually like we talked about earlier, it's grown the state even bigger and bigger. And now um, Hoppe has in his book, Democracy, the God that Failed, basically broken down how a democracy or a democratic institutional type government, like similar to what we have now, a republicanism form, whatever. But that the incentives are such that a monarchy would actually have more incentive to treat the land and the populace better than in a electoral process. And he's not advocating for a monarchy. And that's where a lot of people get confused. He's just comparing two systems and saying, this one incentivizes this, this one incentivizes this other thing. And it nets out that one is probably going to perform better than the other. So in that regard, I think that, um, I'm not sure where I land on this. Like, 
I can appreciate the attempt at growing freedom and the sovereignty of the individual, but I can also see that it hasn't borne out to it and that most people sort of like just follow the motions of celebrating this just to blow shit up right? and have a barbecue. Um, and and so, I, I also acknowledge like a lot of the themes of this time, whether it be uh, aside from the irony of, of the mass populace voluntarily voting their rights away um, while simultaneously celebrating theoretically freedom on the 4th of July once a year. Um, you also have to acknowledge a lot of the themes of, of these ideas are exploited for euphemisms by the state. Um, and I'm sure we could we could go off on tangent, but I, I'm I'm thinking specifically of like, um, you know, wartime euphemisms like the Patriot Act or Operation Iraqi Freedom. Um, I believe Reagan even referred to the Mujahideen as freedom fighters at one point, uh, spreading Jeffersonian democracy to the Middle East, things of that nature. So I think that it it kind of gets lost. It gets the 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 water gets muddied with this kind of stuff, and it's one of those like please celebrate responsibly kind of things. So I guess I would ask, and I want to hear I want to hear Robert's answer to that initial question as well. Um, is is it is it consistent? ideologically consistent to celebrate the 4th of July as a anarcho-capitalist. Well, um, yeah, I, I think that's, okay, here's my answer. Well, first of all, I'm looking forward to the, the Babylon B articles for the 4th. I think they're going to be good this year. Um, I would say that since the, the, the 4th of July is a concept and it's also an event, but it mainly it's a concept that exists in each and every person's mind. And it really depends on the spirit in which you are celebrating it. So I think I could celebrate it perfectly aligned with my principles as a symbol of, of freedom. But, you know, 99% of the world is going to disagree and think it means something completely different. Right. And then there are in the terms of the, it being a, an event that draws a lot of attention that there are going to be different people that are going to use the, to the the scene and the event to co-opt it and you know use it for their own political means and so the state's going to use it to drum up all kinds of patriotism um any kind of activist group is going to talk about how it's probably racist um mm -hmm. there are any number of people that'll use it to twist it and get just to get their eyeballs on them to talk about what they care about so uh can an anarcho-capitalist voluntarist really celebrate it um, unironically? I think you can, but you have to understand or have to recognize that there is no pure voluntarist holiday. It's it's the, the, the spirit in which you celebrate it and the ideals of even as flawed as they were um, when they were actually created July 4th. I mean, we're all for, we're all for secession, right? And as flawed as it was, it was still a secessionary movement. And we got to, we got to cheer for that. I think. Interesting. All right. Very safe answer. Very pussy, Robert. <laughs> was it though, Daniel? <laughs> a little fence city. Was it? Uh, just quoting high fidelity. Very <laughs> pussy. <laughs> yeah. It's Good telling question, that line between, I would argue, I think you could make the argument that uh, libertarianism is a form of, of true patriotism in the superficial sense, not getting into the granular parts of it. Um, but there is that fine line between nationalism and, and patriotism, depending on who you ask, I think. So um, one last question to both of you. I don't mean to 
steer the ship here, but a simpler version of what I just asked is, are you guys this year on Saturday going to be celebrating the 4th of July? I probably will not. Um, I've never been a person and in the past. I've been to 4th of July celebrations where people like get out all the, the state paraphernalia with the flags and then the, the napkins that are flags and you got little sparklers that are red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as a younger person, I was just like, yeah, U.S. is like a colonialist empire, blah, 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 blah. I don't like it. And these days I'm like, yeah, statism. But at the same time, um, I've even heard of, you know, normies saying, hey, Fourth of July, the original Brexit. And I'm like, hey, that's that's pretty yeah, cool. That's a start. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, um, we're not really celebrating the Independence Day per se. That's one of my daughter's birthdays right before then. And so we're going to have family over for that. And they're going to stay for a few days. And then our neighbor, he's a bit of a, he's a good dude, but he's, he's a bit on the normie angle or normie edge of things. And uh, he just likes to blow shit up. America, fuck yeah. So there's gonna be a fireworks display across the street and we'll, you know, we'll stay up late with the kids and, uh, and be able to watch yeah. it. You can't sit in your house with your arms crossed and just like, I'm not watching fireworks because my principles, you know, yeah, I mean, we are curmudgeon old men, but <laughs> you guys are like the two dudes in the, on the Muppet show. That's exactly, that's exactly. We actually had that for our branding at some point. We were working on that. Nice. Yeah. So, um, this has been a, an all over the place discussion. I think we talked about the movie a little bit, but, uh, we should probably do what we call final summary and review. And Robert, if you'd like to model that for our guest, Bobby, and you can oh, yeah. choose whichever style of um, rating system you okay, want to use. Okay, and I, Daniel. Points. It could be stars. It could be fireworks. It could be uh, flag colors, whatever Six you want. American do. flags out of 10. Uh, yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. Okay. So the Patriots. Um, you know, I hate the Patriots, the, the, the football team. Never been a fan. Um, probably for the statism connotations and the fact that they're at the evil empire and they win all the time. Now with Brady gone, I don't know, but Belichick's still a bastard. Um, the best, probably the best coach you ever, but you know, you can still love to hate the guy. Uh, but this movie with uh, good old, um, what's his name? Mad Max. Australian yeah. guy. Yeah. The Australian uh, dude that uh, was the American Patriot in South Carolina. He, um, you know, I, I, why was he a bad, that their opening scene just bugs me. He's like this terrible carpenter. He's making a chair. And then the, for the only reason to have it referenced later when he's in Cornwallis's house and he sees, oh, Cornwallis's has a nice chair. Well, what was the point of that at all in the movie? There's just made no sense to me. That's American ingenuity. He was trying to make it lighter. He was weighing it to get it down to be like 11 ounces, but still support his weight. The comic relief in this film is very shoehorned and half-assed, if if I may say, and that was a prime example of that. Yeah, right. that was a comedy scene. I Right, right, exactly. I, <laughs> well, we're both right, but it's also... No, it's funny because he, he broke the chair in the beginning of the movie, and then he sat on a better one. And he sat on a better one later. Comedy. <laughs> yeah, right. It's gold, Jerry. <laughs> it's, it's definitely gold. But, um, okay, so uh, the story itself, it's a pretty good revenge story, I guess. It's a little bit, they try and weave all kinds of things together. It's it's very an, an ambitious story, I'll say, that they've got, you know, the, the slave that uh, still wants to be there and fight in the army, despite the fact that he's been set free. You got 
uh, the romance story between the the son and the I don't know the constables or the no what was he he had some kind of a store newspaper guy I don't know and then you got the 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 romance between Mel Gibson and the the sister in law and then you got the evil British attacking but then you got the noble the noble general guy who wants to follow the conduct of gentlemanly war where the peasants all die and the the officers are all gentlemen and they don't get shot at. That's, um, you know, I appreciated that when Gibson was like, yeah, well maybe if your uh, officers don't act like assholes, then we won't shoot at them too much. That was kind of cute. So um, yeah, the, the, the acting was nothing, nothing particularly good. I think this movie kind of gotten forgotten. It's not remembered as one of the great Mel Gibson movies or even one of the great, you know, nineties or two thousands movies. It kind of, kind of got lost in the shuffle it's um because it's just kind of average it's just kind of like effective for the most part it's nothing super memorable um but it's a decent revenge story uh this is back before when um heath ledger back before his full powers so he's just like this young you know handsome energetic kid guy he's not like super master actor joker guy yet um Overall, I'd have to say that this is, um, I'd say it's about six, six Betsy Ross flags out of 10. It's, it's competent. John Williams score really helps it, but the directing is like, I don't know, average at best. Yeah. Do you think that maybe we should have done uh, his other film, Independence Day, about the aliens and Welcome to Earth? Would have been well, it definitely has a more charismatic lead in that film, that's for sure. Uh, maybe we can all get behind Bill Pullman and alien invasion going back. And I know you really still like that president speech. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> this will be our time, independence way, day. I was reading online, <laughs> they're setting right. us up for the uh fake invasion that they're all gonna they're gonna fake. Yeah, that's what I've been reading lately is the, the whole Project Bluebeam thing is next after the orchestrated race war and uh, coronavirus. So stay vigilant. looking forward to it. Is that gonna be in 2021 or 22 or do we know? What's happen this weekend is, is oh. what I've read, but well, who knows? Gotta, the odometer's gotta kick over to July because every month has to have a theme. Right. Mm. So it's, it they were hiding be... in plain sight with Independence Day. They were, they were letting us know because that literally happens from like July 2nd through July 4th, that whole movie. It's going to anyway. play out. <laughs> All right. So, Bobby, yeah, you, you've seen it demonstrated uh, as seen on TV by, by yeah. Robert here. So uh, take it away with your final summary review. And whatever scoring method you uh, you choose, just give us a, a reference to what it is out of or related to so we get an idea of if it's good, bad, it, it, somewhere in the middle. Sure. And I, I will just say this. Um, it's It's certainly not flawless. I think we can all agree on that. Um, for me personally, it was nice. Like I'm so in the world of watching weird movies or obscure movies or art house movies. Um, that's kind of my regular rotation, not to sound pretentious, but that's just how it is. And I haven't sat down and just watched a like turn your brain off, like rah, rah America propaganda film like this. And um, it it's entertaining enough. And, and even though it is a, two hours and like 20 minutes or whatever it is it moves relatively fast i thought um it does have some pros as far as i know we were complaining about the character's arc at the beginning where mel gibson like he's like i don't want war and then he's like all right let's go to war like within like 15 minutes 
Um, I think, and I don't know if this was an intentional, profound statement in the storytelling, but I think that the real arc of this character, again, to its credit, is is the perception of his mythology by his adversaries. And what I mean by that is they always refer to him as the ghost. Like he's this um, he's this lurking revolutionary militia leader. Um, and that's the arc is almost outside of who the person actually is. And again, I'm probably reading way more into it than I should. Um, that said, um, Roland Emmerich mixed with Mel Gibson, who Mel Gibson is notorious for having pretty controversial um, films. This this movie wasn't well received by, say, the British, much like uh, Braveheart or the way the Jewish community in, uh, accepted, uh, received uh, Passion of the Christ, all Mel Gibson. He knows his audience. He knows what he's doing. And I think the, the same argument could be made with, with Roland Emmerich. They're both very good at what they do. And again, I agree with Robert. It's not a memorable film, and this doesn't say much about it. Um, but for a role, I would say that it is Roland Emmerich's best movie. Uh, to be fair, he did Godzilla and uh, 10,000 BC and some other pretty bad schlock and not in a good way. Like Independence Day is probably his most recognizable film, but it, it, that movie did not age well at all. And, and to this movie's credit, I feel like it it's schmaltzy, but it wasn't groan inducing. And for a big budget, early 2000s general public movie, that is quite an accomplishment. Um, so if we're going, I'm going to go stars on, on Betsy Ross's flag. Okay. Can I do that? So out of 13, then out of 13, we're going to get complicated here <laughs> out of 13. I'm going to give it a eight, eight stars out of 13, which basically converts to the same rating that Robert gave it in number of Betsy Ross flags. If you do, if you deduce the fraction or whatever it is. All right, so I guess I'm going to have to give it a, a number of stripes rating, perhaps. That might be the oh, direction yeah, I, mean, I need to go. So we'll just we'll just uh, have a shared moment on the Betsy Ross flag. Well, I, I agree with both of you guys. This is a bit of a, a middling movie, though, uh, because it's um, shot as a period piece. You know, it's it's an older film or depicted in, you know, revolutionary times and, and the costuming and, and everything looks pretty good. The story is not like super great or memorable but I think it holds up better than Independence Day or a lot of other films. And I think that you could watch this, uh, you know, 10 years from now and still get the same level of um, mediocrity out of it. Uh, <laughs> maybe a little bit higher than that. I mean, it's not like it's a terrible film, but it's not like super great. Uh, so, I mean, Mel Gibson, he's fine. He's competent. Uh, Heath Ledger's pretty good. I did like um, just how evil and dastardly they made the British uh, out to be in this film. And Bobby, you sent me. Uh, a YouTube video that talks about just how ridiculous and how outsized they made the evilness be. So I'll post that on our show notes page as well, because it is pretty ridiculous, especially when they talk about the church scene where they put the whole uh, townspeople in there and burn it down with the people inside. And they make the point like, well, if that actually happened, you'd probably still hear about it. You know, that would be like a pretty big atrocity that would be, you know, memorable and, and brought up all the time. But uh, just in general, I think it's a it's a good movie and it's appropriate for this time of year, even though in this particular year, uh, we're not really saying give us liberty. We're saying give us liberty or give us mandates, which we will blindly follow, which is apparently true for 99 percent of the population. Vaccines. Uh, 
Yes. But uh, out of the stripes that we see behind me here, uh, it's a little bit of a tattered flag. So I'm going to say we make it up to, oh, maybe that seventh bar out of 13. So just above middle of the road for, for me on my rating for this one. Uh, on episode 131 of the show, I'm trying to show us more at lastnight.com slash 131. And uh, any feedback from you guys before we get into the thanking of our sponsors? I'll start rolling the... Uh, Patreon names down below here on the YouTube video. By the way, subscribe uh, on YouTube if you can. Um, uh, as long as we're still on there, uh, more subscribers helps us out. Uh, I'm sure, as Bobby, you said earlier, um, we're probably going to get shut down pretty quickly here. Uh, <laughs> I've already lost one one channel before, so why not make it two or three? Yeah, why not go for the whole full-on hat trick, Daniel? Knock it That's all right. out. But usually, I think you have to get to a certain level. But I mean, if we do ever get noticed, I think, yeah, our views would be depersonable, unpersonable, deplatformable. Mm, problematic, Daniel. Yes, triggering, triggering. All right. Well, uh, not sure what else to say other than next week. We're going to get classy San Diego with our good friend Pete Quinones, also known as Mance Raider of the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast, as we review the Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman classic Casablanca before it gets deplatformed for depicting <laughs> racial overtones uh, and things of that nature. So that should be a lot of fun. I, I, I threw a little bit of a psychic fake out there. It sounded like we we're going to do Ron Burgundy, didn't it? Uh, well, no. I mean, Kevin Costner is not in Casablanca. So what? <laughs> what do we I don't understand? Right. Yeah. With with Pete Mance, we, we call him Mance still. Uh, we mostly do Kevin Costner. Only. Plays. Only do. Right. And I approached him about doing The Postman later this year. And he's down with that. But he's like, well, I want to get on with you guys before then. And so mm. we just we, we cleared his schedule in July. We cleared our schedule. His people talked to our people and mm -hmm. settled on Casablanca. Casablanca. Okay. Well, I guess it'll be a first time watching that thing. It's a Looking classic. To it. You got to watch it. Supposedly. And it is, it is actually quite good. So spoilers, everyone. It's a good movie. I'm, I'm going to give it a positive review. You had already. That's right. You've seen it. You've seen it already. Long ago. Peter. About oh, 10 years okay. ago, maybe 15, something like that. But yeah, anyway, okay. that's going to be next week with, uh, with Mance as our guest. And our guest this week was of course, Bobby of the Not For Everyone podcast. Uh, final plug for uh, our audience, Bobby. Tell tell people where they can find you. Yeah, Not For Everyone podcast is everywhere you can find fine podcasts. Uh, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all that jazz. And then, of course, I got to plug Death to Tyrants podcast. Um, and then you can follow me on Twitter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to announce my anonymous Twitter handle on here. Uh, Liberty Nelson, as in Craig T. Nelson, but Liberty Nelson is my Twitter handle. If anyone I follow back, uh, but yeah, not for everyone podcast, not political, but uh, it's a fun, uh, lowbrow time with a couple of dudes. So I guess that's my plug. All right, that well, sounds like a sounds like an ad in the back of a magazine. So thank you. <laughs> I write copy for a living. <laughs> All right. Well, very good. Thank you, Bobby. And I hope that you can stick around for a little bit longer for our uh, bonus content that we have for our Patreon supporters. So uh, everyone uh, check it out. Lastnighters.com slash Patreon. Show notes and more on this episode on the Patriot. Lastnighters.com slash 131. You can also find it on Launchpad Media at thelaunchpadmedia.com. And uh, with that, we'll say happy Independence Day and good night from last night. Woo!